You may be seated. It is good to worship with you this morning. I have been in churches where the worship leader says, all right, just the voices, and you kind of cringe a little bit. You're like, okay, here it goes. It's about to sound like a bunch of dying cats in here. But uh, you guys don't sound like dying cats. You sound like you're alive, like you're living, and uh, beautiful voices lifted up to Jesus this morning. So, hey, this morning we are going to be in Romans 8. We are continuing on from where we picked up last week, which was Romans 8, 1 through 11. And today we start with Romans 8, 12. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your phones, go ahead, turn them on. If you have your Bibles, open them up. And we are going to pick right back up where Paul left off. Now, just a reminder, this is a letter written to the church in Rome after the Jews have just rejoined the Gentiles that have come to know Jesus, entered into relationship with Jesus, and things are a little bit different because they went away for five years because they were sent out. Now they've come back in, and they're trying to figure out what is going on in this house of worship. It looks so much different than it used to, and we see that Paul is really pushing for unity when he writes this letter to the church in Rome that we see as Romans. And so today, Romans 8, verse 12, it picks up right where Paul left off last week in verse 11 with a transition statement that reminds us of what we talked about last week and goes right into what we're going to cover today. And it says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to flesh, to live according to the flesh. And so as we learned last week, we are no longer condemned. We no longer walk and live in sin. We are no longer sinners, but we are saints. We are no longer slaves to our old selves, to our lower nature, but now we live life in the Spirit. When we enter into relationship with Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, and now the Spirit of God lives inside of us. That is the reminder. And that goes right into Romans 8, 13, and it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So our first point this morning, we're going to start off strong, is we need to put the flesh to death. If you're writing, if you have your Connect card, turn it over on the back. It's got a place for notes. Take that down. This is something I need to be reminded of consistently. We need to put the flesh to death. We see here in verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. So if we live in sin, we live according to our temptations, to our desires that we have as sinful people, death is ours. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. So Follow our temptation, follow our desires in the flesh, die. Follow the Spirit, follow what God has for us. Live righteous lives, pure lives in the Spirit. We have life. And we also see that this is a cooperative mission here. I think a lot of times we think, I just, I'm going to rely solely on God. And we do, we rely solely on the work of Jesus on the cross to set us free from sin. But as Paul states here in verse 13, it is us and it is the Spirit but it is us with the Spirit. By the power of the Spirit, we, he says you, that means we, keep putting the flesh to death. And so that means that we, that you, that I have something that we need to take care of in our lives in the power of the Spirit, partnering with the Spirit, and that is putting the flesh to death. I think for a lot of us, we may have realized that in Jesus, 
our old selves are not quite dead and gone. They kind of rear their ugly heads back up at us every now and then. We are transformed, and we are certainly being transformed, but there are old habits. There are old ways of life. There are things that we did that have consequences that keep showing back up in our lives, and we have to put those things to death. I know for some people, it's a little bit different. I know some people who give their lives to Jesus, and it is a radical change. They go from one side of the spectrum to the other, from the worst of sinners to the most holy to the best of saints. People who sound like the worst pirate you could ever talk to, now not a single swear word comes out of their mouth. People that struggle with addictions their whole lives, now addiction-free in Jesus. And certainly God works in this way sometimes in our lives, but it's not always the case. Paul said that even he had a thorn in his flesh, something that God chose to keep in his life that kept him dependent on God. And so if that is you, if there is still a thorn in your side, realize that that is to keep you coming back to God. That is to keep you in a realization that we are dependent on Jesus. But even in the midst of the thorn in our side, the thorn in our flesh, we have to wage war against the flesh in our lives. And so we're going to look at a couple ways that we do that. And the first way I'd like to look at it is practically. The Bible can be put into application, and so we need to do this in our lives. We don't just come, listen to it, and then walk out the doors and think, man, that's good. That's all I need. I don't need to do anything with this the rest of the week. It starts here, and we put an application out there. So practically, we need to avoid dead-end streets in our lives, in our walks with the Lord. We need to identify what triggers us, all right? If there is sin still in us, and we need to fight against that sin, we need to realize what that sin is. I think a lot of us, we think as Christians that we just, there's no sin in our lives. We can't even act like there's sin in our lives. Let's put this mask on. Let's make people think that we're perfect, and that's absolutely not the case. I want you to know, as believers in here, that we're real, that we're messed up, that we're broken people. And me being a Christian is not me saying that I'm not sinful. It's me saying, I know exactly what my sin is. This is my sin right here. I have identified it. I can put my hand on it, and I can lift it up to God. I know exactly what it is, and I know that I can't handle it. I can't beat this on my own, but I know the one who can and already has, and so I lift it up to him. And it is not for me to hide from you, because that's not beneficial to anybody, but it's for me to live real life, authentic life with you, so that you can see Jesus victorious in my life over that sin, and so that Jesus, and you see that Jesus, that could be an example for him being victorious in your life as well. So we avoid dead-end streets. We identify the triggers that set us off, that send us chasing the flesh. And we set up guardrails. There's so much freedom within boundaries. We see that the original intent of the law that God gave to his people was to be a boundary system, to keep them from death. But in their sin, in their flesh, they turned it, and it only became more death. So we need to set up guardrails. Hey, if this thing sets me off, I need to stay away from this situation. We set up roadblocks. We remove ourselves from situations that would lead us into sin. And then I learned back in the day, some of you guys right around the 30-year-old range, maybe you know this video game from back in the day. It's called Need for Speed, Most Wanted. Anybody in the house? Can I get an amen? All right, thank you so much. 
Need for Speed Most Wanted set me up for ministry because it's all about racing and running away from the cops. Okay, it was a beautiful game. And basically, you're just racing people. You're breaking the speed limit the whole time. And then the cops come after you. And so they try to stop you. They try to bash you into the side of the wall. It doesn't work. And so what they do, they set their cars up. Man, right here, I can blow through the middle of that all day, every day. And so I'm driving straight through the middle of these cop cars, just getting ready for my future. And then they throw out these things called road spikes. And I'm like 12 years old. I don't know what road spikes are, but I'm thinking like, this is amazing, okay? It's these things that they can just basically accordion out in front of cars, and they run over them, and it pops their tires. You go about 20 more feet, or if you're real committed, you can just keep riding on the rims, sparks everywhere. But we need those guardrails. We need to identify those dead-end streets. And we sometimes, in our lives, need road spikes. We need a panic button. We need accountability. We need somebody that when everything goes wrong, when we are feeling like we are about to fall into the flesh, back into sin, back into temptation, we need somebody that we can call. We need accountability. And we need to divert away from the flesh and back to the Spirit. I think so many times, especially as men, we see that temptation, we see that the flesh often creeps back into our lives when we're feeling bored, when we have idle hands, when we are feeling unfulfilled, when we are feeling wronged. If you look at the life of King David, when he commits one of the greatest sins that we see he commits in the Bible, and he uh, has an affair with Bathsheba, or he causes Bathsheba to have an affair on her husband, who was his friend, it's because David was supposed to be out at war. It was in the spring, and then the spring kings are at war, and for some reason, David stays behind. And as he is idle, as he is bored, and as he is gazing out upon his city, that he is over, he sees Bathsheba bathing on the roof. And that sets into a course of events that leads David to falling into sin. His hands were idle. He had something that he needed to be doing, but he strayed away from it. And when he strayed away from it, he fell into sin, fell into temptation. So that's practically. Let's talk about spiritually. I think for a lot of us, we often forget who we are. We forget our identity. We forget that we are no longer sinners. We just think that we are fighting against this sin in our lives. But you are no longer a sinner. You are a saint. And when you realize who you are, there is a realization of whose you are. And you are a son. You are a daughter of the king. And it's so easy to lose track of the truth in our lives if we are not spending time in the truth. If all I'm ever hearing is who I am not, I'm going to start believing that that is the truth. That I actually am who I am not. But if I'm spending time in God's word, if I am daily reminding myself that I am not who I used to be, but I am a new creation in Jesus, I am no longer condemned, then I'm spending time with the real deal. I'm not believing the counterfeit. I'm following the real thing. And we also have to remind ourselves of the bigger picture. I think a lot of times when we forget our identity, we forget who we are, we forget whose we are, is because the way that this whole story is supposed to play out has been shifted. And the focus is no longer on, I am a 
little part of a much bigger story, and I have an insanely big godly presence and the Holy Spirit living inside of me, and I have a part to play in this, and I think what we do instead is we shift that, and we said, I have instead invited God into my story, and in doing so, I believe these false truths. I believe these lies, and I start pursuing the wrong story. So I think a lot of us, we need to set up roadblocks, but we also need to start pulling some weeds. I moved here from Texas, and in Texas we had grass and we had wood fences, and so it was cool. Anytime you got weeds, you just mowed them, and you acted like they were grass, and if you had some you know, some thinner spots in your yard. You just pretended that's, it was just grass and it just looked better. And so you just mowed over the weeds. And we moved to Arizona and I realized, man, there's like not grass out here at all. And if you have grass, you must have a lot of money because you're paying for a lot of water. So we have rocks all over our front yard, as I'm sure you have rocks or turf or a combination of the two. And so I was like, sweet. I don't have to mow the yard. I don't have to do anything. And then springtime came. And weeds started to pop up slowly but surely. And I realized that I have to get rid of these weeds. And the weeds in my yard got to be pretty hefty. And so I would grab them, and they were deeply rooted. And so they would just break off at the surface. And then two weeks later, they would be right back until eventually I would get a letter from the very kind people (laughs) in the HOA. Maybe you've gotten a letter from these awesome people too. And they reminded me, hey, that side of your house that you don't really ever go on, you don't really ever see, it's like a weed party over there. And it's a different weed party than my neighbors have. They don't get letters from the HOA. But if you see the weeds, it's a problem. If you smell the weeds, I don't know. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. Sorry. But I realize that it's the same thing for sin in our lives. We have to get rid of the sin in our lives as they pop up, just as we have to get rid of the weeds in our yards as it pops up. We have to get it, and we have to get it from the root. If we're constantly just treating the surface, it's going to continue to come back. It's going to continue to wreak havoc in our lives, just like it wreaks havoc in our yard. Eventually, the weeds took over our side yard. This was a job I had to tap out on. I couldn't do it alone. I had to call in some help. I paid Brooklyn one penny for every weed she pulled, and we taught stewardship at the, at the same time. But the thing is, if we leave those weeds, eventually they're going to choke out everything else that is good. And the same thing is true for sin in our lives. If we do not wage war against the flesh, if we do not wage war against temptation and against sin in our lives, eventually it will choke out everything that is good in our lives. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And when we let the, fret, the flesh run rampant in our lives, it will surely destroy us. Romans 18, 4 through 16. Romans 18, 14 through 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Second point this morning. I want you to know this. I want you to take this deep down in your heart, and I want this to change who you are and who you believe yourself to be. We are adopted. You are adopted. We have gone from slaves to sons. We have gone from the lost to being found. There's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It is in Luke 15. I'll paraphrase it so you don't have to turn there. But it is the story of the prodigal son. And what you see in the life of the prodigal son is there is a rich father who has a lot of resources. And he has two boys. And one of them grows up and he says, Father, I want my inheritance from you. Now, in this culture, and even today, if your child came up to you and said, I want my inheritance from you, you know, all that money that when you die, I'm going to get that. I want that now so that I can go and do my thing. That's a roundabout way of saying, you're dead to me. Give me what I think you owe me. All right? I'm thinking Papa Bear in this situation, he's not too happy, but as a father who loves his son, he gives the money to the son. The son runs off to Las Vegas of the biblical world, and he lives a life of sin, and he goes after the desires of his heart. If there's a craving, he fulfills it. If there's an itch, if there's an urge, he sues it. Until one day he runs out of money, and he's no longer the king of the town, but he is eating out of the same trough that the pigs are eating their slop out of. And it's in this moment that he realizes, man, even the servants at my father's house ate better than I'm eating right now. Even the servants at my father's house, they were treated better than me. So he leaves to live a life of sin, and he returns home in shame. And as he's walking up over the hill, I imagine the father waiting to see him coming home, sees his head just peeking over the horizon. And he's thinking to himself, is that him? Has the day finally come where my boy returns home? And the father realizes it's his son, and he runs to him, and he greets him, and he welcomes him home with love and with celebration, and he gives him sandals for a feet, a ring for his finger, and a robe to wear. This is the only time in Scripture that we ever see that God is in a hurry. God being depicted as the father in this story. The father runs to the son. He runs to the son that was lost. He runs to the son that went to fulfill his flesh. That did not wage war against it, but that only fulfilled every urge, every desire that he can imagine. And he meets him with love and celebration. That same father that runs to the lost son is the same father that welcomes us home. And I don't know where you are this morning. If you came in here living a life like the prodigal son and it's time to return home, or if you have been living a life striving for Jesus that's been caught up in sin, caught up in habitual sin that you can't get away from, it seems like temptation just keeps winning, I want you to know that the road home is short. I don't care how long it took you to travel away from it. The road home is short. And the road home goes through the cross. It goes through the work of Jesus, setting us free from sin, setting us free from death, from the flesh. 
that changes everything for us. And so if that is you, then it's time to come home because the Father is ready to clothe you. He is ready to welcome you back. He's ready to call you his son, his daughter, and he's ready to celebrate your return with love. Romans 8, 17, we'll close with this. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Third point this morning, we are heirs. We are heirs. We are adopted. That means we are his children. And in being his children, that means that what is his is now ours. What do we inherit by being the children of God? Well, as it says in the scripture, we inherit his suffering. That can be backed up in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 9, 23, where Luke talks about picking up your cross when he is taking note of what Jesus said when Jesus said, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, kill the flesh, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Loved ones, what does that mean? That means we pick up our cross daily. As Jesus picked up his cross and he died on it, that means that daily we die to ourselves. Daily we die to our sin. We die to our flesh. If we are going to follow Jesus in his glory, we will also follow him in his suffering. And so know that there will be suffering. But suffering is only temporary. Life is but the width of a hand. It's but a breath. And suffering will not take long. But the riches of his glory will also be met with that suffering right here as we live through this life together, as we experience Jesus together, and then forever as we experience the presence and the love of God in heaven. So we inherit his riches. His riches are his power. We have an infinitely powerful God. No one can stop him. No one can be victorious over him. He has already had the victory through Jesus. And we see his power in creation. We see his power in his preservation of that creation. And we'll see his power again one day in recreation, where he makes all things new. And he is a God that is rich on wisdom. And we receive that wisdom when we receive the Spirit and we live in and we walk in his wisdom, not nearly in producing good, but bringing good out of bad. Not nearly in producing beauty, but bringing beauty out of deformity. Not nearly in producing harmony, but bringing harmony out of discord. And not merely in producing life, but bringing life out of death, like I was like you were, and we inherit the riches of his goodness. He is a God of love. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of transformation. He is a God of forgiveness. He is a God of restoration. It doesn't end for us after we're forgiven. He continues to make us new. He continues to form us more in his image and to be more like his son. And in his goodness, there's truth and there's life. And get this. This is so awesome. This is what saved me. This is what saves you. In his riches comes the gospel, and through the gospel we inherit eternal life through the work of Jesus. 
And Paul takes note of this all throughout the book of Romans. Maybe if you grew up in church or if you helped serve at a VBS, you know something called the Romans Road to Salvation. And hey, it may seem elementary, but it's the same elementary truth that changed my life, that changed your life, that we're about to dive into now. And if we grab hold of this, then the flesh can be fought. We can realize that we're children and we can realize that we're heirs when we realize that we are all sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And our sin earned us an unpayable debt until Jesus died for us. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And to make him our Lord, we must confess. Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is, the, is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not only will you be saved, but you will be saved with God knowing everything that you have ever done, knowing everything that you would ever do. And we see that in Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because Christ died for us, we are not condemned. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus if we call on his name. Romans 10.13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. You are good when we don't deserve it. Father, we thank you that you love us. That while we are still sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. Father, today, I pray that you would help us as you have given us the Spirit already, that you would help us to partner with the Spirit in killing the flesh in our life, in killing the sin, the temptation in our lives. Help us to realize that we have not been called to manage our sin, but that we have been called to die to our sin. That we are already set free from it through the work of Jesus, and that our identity has been changed. We have been made new. Help us to realize, Jesus, that we are children now. God, we are your sons. We are your daughters. And we are adopted into this family because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Father, thank you that as your children, we inherit your riches. And God, also thank you that we inherit your suffering, that we could take part in just a percentage of what your son bore for us. Father, I pray that if there is someone that came to church this morning, not knowing their identity, not knowing that they're a son, not knowing that they are a daughter, through your work on the cross, Jesus. Father, that you would call them home today. Maybe they've been living life like the prodigal son. They've been out doing whatever they want. And they're realizing that even the servants at the Father's house eat better than this. Even the servants at the Father's house are taken care of better than this. Father, would you call them home? If that's you in here today, and you've never accepted a relationship with Jesus, you've yet to begin this crazy, awesome adventure with Jesus. We want to encourage you that that doesn't have to be the case for you. 
you don't have to leave church today being unsure as you were when you walked in. We want to talk to you about that. We want to see what that looks like in your life. I know there are a lot of questions that surround that. And so if that is you, you would say, I'm ready to come home. The road home is short. Forgiveness, I need that. I want a relationship with Jesus. I don't want to keep living this life of sin and death that I have been. I pray that you would have the courage and the boldness to grab that connection card and down at the bottom, just check that box that says, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. And for the believer in here, may we continue to walk in our identity. May we continue to fight the flesh. Holy Spirit, well up inside of us and through your power and partnering with you, may we become more and more like Jesus every day. God, thank you for what Jesus did on the cross for us that he broke the chains, that we could have life and no condemnation. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.